0: I'm Grim. I'm Zolgar. (laughs) That's Kaiju. And this is Two Idiots and a Dog, Idiots on Film. Where we explore movies that we love. Or think are important for pop culture.
1: And this week we are doing
0: Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I almost forgot what movie we were doing. We're off to a great start. So we picked this movie for, as always, a multitude of reasons. But primarily we picked this because it has everything. This movie has no business being as good as it is. In fact, this movie was so good that I have nowhere near as many viewing notes as I should because I just kept getting sucked back in. And I have seen this movie like four times before this.
1: Yeah, it's, it is way too good. And despite also having seen it like at least three times before this, possibly more, I kept getting sucked in too and forgetting to write down notes. I was like, oh, hey, I've got, I've got a note here. Oh, wait. Ooh, movie.
0: Uh-huh. What was they going to write a note about again? Squirrel. Spider squirrel. Squirrel girl? What? No, spider squirrel. I want squirrel girl. Well, you can't have squirrel girl. Maybe. Wrong franchise. Sort of. <sighs> right trademark holders, wrong franchise. Fair. All right, so... Full disclosure, this movie has some of the most amazing emotional highs and emotional lows of a modern film I have seen. And that is really one of the reasons we are doing it.
1: Yeah, especially such emotional highs and lows for what, on the surface, looks like just a fun, family, action-animated movie.
0: And uh, we're going to start off with uh, making everybody cry. So,
1: the... Stan Lee cameo in this movie, it it has a much different hit than it was meant to. For those of you who haven't seen it recently, the Stan Lee cameo is right after Peter Parker from Miles' World dies. And Miles goes into this shop to buy a Spider Man costume. And Stan Lee is the shopkeeper. And he just gives this line like, you know i miss him too you know we were good friends and uh, yeah, i'm getting here choked up but
0: we're already we're already because there,
1: folks. that that scene was one of if not the last cameos that stanley recorded before he died he died less than a month before this movie came out so the loss of stanley was so fresh in our minds that that cameo—it's like it wasn't that he missed Spider-Man. It was that we, as the
0: audience, missed Stan. This cameo happens to include one of the most heartfelt lines from a Stanley cameo. It's delivered as a joke, ha ha, no refunds. But the line itself, it still holds true in other contexts, and that was intentional. It always fits. Eventually. Stan's work in the comics industry needs no expounding upon. I'm not going to say Stan invented modern comics, but he invented modern comics.
1: He was he was very instrumental in the creation of modern comics as we know them. He was, you know, one of one of the most influential comics creators of the era, you know, like him, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko. I unfortunately don't know the ones who work for Mar- for DC because I'm not as familiar on that side. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's his work. And you know, some people want to say that oh, he stole credit from others. I've never gone back in time. I can't swear he didn't. But everything I have read really indicates that at least as far as Jack Kirby goes, Kirby was the kind who didn't care about the limelight. He was happy being second fiddle to stan lee because it lament he could do his work and not be not be quite so in the middle of it all also yeah. jack kirby is somebody who
0: if he was still around i would love to have a beer with Seriously. and i don't even drink beer yeah stan brought a lot to the comics world and one of the big things that he brought to the comics world is new perspective for sure but also New style. And that style plays a really big part in this movie. And that's kind of why we have spent this preamble talking about Stan a little bit. Not only is his cameo in the movie, but his style influenced what became the style of this movie. And style is one of the most important elements of this film.
1: Yeah, this, this movie, it, it's hard to tell sometimes whether you're watching a movie or reading a comic book with it. It is stylistically designed after comic books to every degree. The art, you know, even cases where you see like the, that, I don't remember what, what it's called, but the basically almost pixelization of the art where it's all dotted up that you'd see in especially some of the cheaper comics. And then you start seeing things like the thought balloons and such popping up. It's just all so, like I said, it is the perfect blending of comic book and
0: movie it really is and that makes this not just a superhero movie but one of the true comic book movies
1: yeah we you know we could debate for hours on what the best comic book movie is but then we would have to define what comic book movie means and depending on our definition this one could easily take that to the spot And regardless of our definition, this is at least top three. Easily top three.
0: And the thing about it is that style plays into everything. There's We can't talk about the style of this movie without talking about the visuals. We've touched on it briefly already, but... The visuals of this film are... I don't
1: like using the word perfect for things, but they are bloody perfect. You know, everything from just the overarching art style to... The, like, visual storytelling cues to things like the fact that all of the different characters from the different
0: dimensions
1: have a slightly different art style or a drastically different art style in the case of Penny, Spider-Ham, and
0: Noir. Yeah, they each have their own distinctive animation styles. Peter B., Gwen, and Miles have similar But there are, as you've stated, slight differences, uh, especially Miles, compared to Peter B. and Gwen. And there's so many wonderful, amazing things that happen in this film visually. Some of them we're going to touch base on more in the storytelling segment, because a lot of this is visual storytelling. But there's a couple of different times where we see things like Miles' face reflected in a glass case with the Spider-Man suit.
1: Which that
0: is such great visual storytelling, and it's it's a great form of foreshadowing. It really is. And I mean, all of this is just amazing. The visual styling is used fully, like full utilization here. Like we mentioned earlier, the comic book stylings, the dot color patterns, the there's several sequences that are like panels in a comic. We get the onomatopoeia sometimes. Very rarely we'll get the onomatopoeias, and I think that's great
1: that it wasn't overused. Because that when when used a lot, that gets really old and distracting in a movie, but when it just pops up now and then, it really adds
0: to the feel. One of the biggest things we get is after Miles is bitten, we get this shift from a normal, relatable Miles Morales to we get his, his narration boxes, and he even thinks to himself, why are my thoughts so loud? Can they hear my thoughts? So he's got the little like yellow narration boxes popping up around him as he's running through basically stream of consciousness. It's really great that transition into the style because prior to that, it's not really a comic book movie. We get some nice visuals. There's a little bit of
1: comic book to the opening scene with Peter Parker. But yeah, there's, there's not a lot of comic book to it. Of course, the other thing that the, we have to mention with the visuals is the visual storytelling on this movie is so strong that you could turn the, the at least the dialogue and probably the entire audio off and watch it and know what
0: was happening. Probably could. You'd be doing yourself a serious disservice for the soundtrack alone. Ugh, the soundtrack is amazing, but it isn't for me. And here's the thing. That's Okay. This is not my music. This is not my story. This is Miles' music and Miles' story.
1: Yeah, it is very much Miles Morales' story. And I'm sorry, I don't think that this film would have worked with any other soundtrack.
0: No, it absolutely wouldn't. They did some amazing work both in song selection and in the original pieces that they made. Prowler's theme. Yeah. They were just going to go with generic scary music. And then the guy was like, hey, wait a minute. Let me go get some synthesized elephant trumpets. And it just went over the top, and it was perfect.
1: They did not spare any detail on this movie. You also see that all of that attention to detail in all of the character design. And the character design is absolutely amazing in this. You know, you've got some of the classics like, okay, Kingpin. There, There is no real alternate version of Kingpin unless you count the old Daredevil movie, which...
0: Uh, Ugh. <laughs> Rabbit Hole, we're not going to go down. (laughs) Yeah, Rabbit Hole, we're
1: not going to go down. But then some of the other characters, you have some massive deviations on them, like like, Green Goblin and Scorpion. Those two, I'm not familiar enough with comics to know where they pulled those ones out of. I know that Prowler was actually in the Miles Morales comics where he originated, because Prowler, uh, as Aaron, was part of his story in the same way he is in this a little bit longer longer of an arc in the comics but yeah. and there there was also at least one character that they absolutely built from the ground up based off an existing character and that is dr octopus
0: yeah live octavius is amazing car- visually and sound wise her voice actress did an amazing job with this character
1: and, yeah, uh, Catherine Hahn, not super well-known currently, most well-known for most of us nerds as Agatha from WandaVision. She played that role so incredibly well with being able to, like, just flip a switch from this really kind of sweet but socially awkward nerd to, oh, wait a second, that's a freaking supervillain. Yeah, I mean, her villainous reveal was do you have any idea how painful that's going to be
0: i for one can't wait to watch and at that point we, the items like wait what what's going on and then costume reveal and we're like oh yeah there now there also was another great thing
1: with that character kind of one of those interesting little kind of storytelling nods but also kind of a just a general Social commentary nod when they're first going to be setting up to break into Alchemax facility. There's, you know, a scene where Peter B. Parker's like, Hey, I need to find the head scientist. And, you know, his, his little like visual narration is showing a guy, but also shows Liv walking with her bike. And Miles' is like, Oh, yeah, the head scientist is that kind of nerdy gal with her bike. And Peter's like, Oh, um, I guess I need to rethink my biases.
0: Yeah, it's almost a throwaway line, but it's still an important piece of storytelling. And honestly, all of the characterizations, the, the characters in this are brilliant. Uh, it's just we get some real relatable characters, especially early on. I mentioned this in the note session, but Miles with his dad and his mom in their apartment getting ready to start the day and the banter and the chaos of moving around, trying to get all the pieces moving. I have sat in that kitchen with that family.
1: Yeah, they're they are a very relatable family, and you can really get a feel for who those characters are just by that family dynamic.
0: Yeah, all of the, and it's not just them, of course. All of the casting was perfect. Even the characters who aren't supposed to be realistic. John Mulaney as Spider Ham was amazing. Nicholas Cage as Spider Man Noir was. Again, we're overusing this word this episode, but he was the perfect choice.
1: I I am still personally convinced that when they were doing this movie, they're like, you know, Nicolas Cage would be perfect for this. We can't get him. And someone's like, let's just call his agent. And I I love the little bit that, you know, they're talking about in a making of this for this. They're Like, so, yeah, when Nick Cage was first reading his lines, the director came back with some notes. And Cage's response to that was, oh, you want me to go full Cage? And it's like, he is self-aware enough to know that he just, he hammed it up for that. I mean, he hammed it up more than John Mulaney did. And John Mulaney was playing the pig.
0: I'm right here. (laughs) The dialogue in this is amazing, but the characterizations are what fuel that dialogue. And there's one that we, we need to talk about. And it's going to be one of our next emotional speed bumps here, and that is, and if I am mispronouncing his name, I apologize profusely. Mershala Ali, I think that's right, but I may be wrong. Both as
1: Aaron and Prowler, he ah, <laughs> he was he was amazing, and you know, Prowler is one of those rare exceptions where the villain having a voice changer just makes perfect sense so you don't sit there feeling like oh well they're just doing this to disguise the voice because that character would want to have this just you know this demonic sounding voice
0: well and here's the other thing uh prowler unlike a lot of the other villains we see in this movie doesn't banter no so we don't hear that voice and voice changer until moments before the reveal
1: yeah which i really felt like they did just enough of a job foreshadowing that without basically just pointing a big finger saying hey hey this this guy's prowler
0: yeah there were a few subtle nods here and there enough to make it believable but that first time you see that reveal where he takes the mask off while on the phone with Fisk, you are in that moment feeling what miles is feeling and your heart breaks as miles heart breaks and Marshallah ali's performance fueled that
1: yeah and then Another one was like great little tidbits from the the making of on this the that that really powerful scene where he dies they had it storyboarded and then when Ali did his reading for that they realized that their storyboarding wasn't right and rebuilt the storyboard to fit how he delivered those lines and that scene was just So, It was so powerful, and then it set up for something even
0: bigger just a little bit later. Yeah, which I think is our great segue here. It's time for us to tackle the behemoth that is the storytelling of this film. A lot of it is visual, but there are amazing dialogue and amazing lines, and this movie is not afraid to be comedic. As a matter of fact, a lot of the movie is actually really fun and upbeat hilarious commentary we've already said a couple of the more uh, humorous lines to each other during the course of this episode quoting the movie and but there's also these raw powerful lines much like stan lee's line in the cameo which becomes a line that comes up again and again uh that finally gets summed up and actually i believe mj is the first one to sum it up as uh peter used to say anybody can wear the mask that theme comes up repeatedly. That line comes up repeatedly.
1: And then it, 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 at the very end, Miles says, anyone can wear the mask. You can wear the mask. I hope you understand that now.
0: Yeah, we're, we're choking up again because <laughs> we haven't even started to get on the really emotional stuff. This film is so powerful because it is fun and upbeat, but it's not afraid to delve into these deep themes. There are layered themes here repeat throughout, and I'm going to touch on another one now, and that is, let me back up just a moment here. This movie is phenomenal, and I realized during the note session that this movie asks a question none of us thought to really ask, but it's important that it was asked and that this movie in turn answers it, and that question is, this theme, the general overall premise of this whole story, what is is spider-man what makes spider-man and we learned that through miles journey this is definitely miles story but it's also all of the other story as well retold again and again across the dimensions creating all of these parallels
1: and one of the key points of every spider-man story is he has every every spider Every Spider-Man, every Spider-Woman, every Scarlet Spider and this, that and the other has to lose someone close to them. And that gives us a, such a raw line spoken by the most comedic character in the entire film. You can't save
0: everybody. Raw, true words for silly animated film from a silly animated character. And that's this movie. Like, every time... None of these characters are throwaways. None of these characters are here strictly to be gags. They all have their contributions to the story. Like, Penny could absolutely have been a joke character from word go. Oh, you're a teenage girl with a psychic link to a spider operating a robot built by... What? By the way, I need to
1: find those comics and read those. <laughs> because
0: that one actually sounds fun. I, I have no idea what's going on there, but yeah. But she isn't. She contributes to the team repeatedly... She's got all of these very important roles that she takes on, and she is also part of one of the more touching scenes, which is where, right after it's happened and Aaron has died, literally in Miles' arms, uh, all of them come together and are like, Yeah, we, we get it. We've all lost someone. You know, we've had a, a couple Bens, Penny's dad. Spider-Man never says his. He doesn't need to because he's the one who tells us you can't save everybody. Oh. That line, delivered the way it was, tells us Spider Man has lost people. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's. You know, every Spider Man has to lose somebody.
0: Which is an intriguing thing because we all lose somebody very early on in this movie, don't we? We lose Spider Man. Which. We came here to watch a Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man's Dead. Wait, what?
1: Yeah, you know, and for those of us who were at least aware of the comics culture enough to know that Miles Morales takes the role of Spider-Man after Spider-Man dies, knew that's what was going to happen going in when we met Miles. But people who went into this not being familiar with Miles Morales, they had to get a huge shock when... Peter Parker, Spider-Man, gets killed right just, there in front of us. Yeah. I mean, they could have made that scene so much more violent if they had wanted to, but just yeah. Smash. Just Kingpin just smashes him and we we see Miles' reaction to that and it's it's one of those things that even when you know it's coming, it's still this really harsh scene to see
0: Spider-Man get killed, which gives us one of the the one of multiple family moment scenes in this movie is is miles sneaks back home he's been staying at the school this this really nice preppy school and he sneaks back home and of course his dad is a cop so he hears him you know sneaking into his room and confronts him and they have this really heartfelt conversation about you know first of all they see that he's very very upset and you know it they don't know, but Miles knows Spider-Man is dead. He was there, and he asks his dad, do you really hate Spider-Man that much? He,
1: at that point, he didn't know for sure that Spider-Man was dead. He he believed, but he wasn't
0: sure. And they're, they're, they're talking, and of course, um, one of the other things that comes up is, can I stay here tonight? And of course, his dad says, you made a commitment to that school. And his mom is like,
1: of course you can stay, because she can... She she's the mom she can tell that he is hurting from something she doesn't know what but she can tell that something has her son just spooked and hurt and scared and again this movie does such a great job of building this family as a family which you know again that is partially the voice actors being amazing at their roles oh, god the voice actors were amazing in this so
0: it, yeah, they were really great and especially in a very specific scene that is crucial to the story. And everything that leads up to that moment, this this moment, this scene. I think you know which one I'm talking about. We'll get there in a mo- just a moment. But we've got all these themes and tropes that come up that lead us to that moment. And honestly, the tropes, the literary devices used in this film I think we're used to excellent effect. We've got multiple uses of Chekhov's gun. Uh, we've got Chekhov's shoelace, which had me laughing. Where
1: I, I actually have to admit, I missed Chekhov's
0: shoelace. Multiple people throughout the movie are like, "Your shoelace is untied. Your shoelace is untied." So when he finally is like, I'm "Gonna go try and jump off a building," but first we got the comedic moment where he climbs a really tall building. And he gets to the roof, and he looks down, and he goes, nope. And runs back downstairs, and he finds a shorter building. And he climbs that one. And he's ready to go jump and and try to see if he can actually do, like, the spider leaping and whatever. And right as he's uh, nearing the roof, he trips on his own shoelaces. Beautiful. Amazing. Hilarious. He goes, over tea kettle. It's hilarious. But there's also Chekhov's shoulder touch. Hey. Just... (laughs) I mean it, and it comes it comes up repeatedly. It's uh, this suave move Uncle Aaron teaches him to try to like pick up girls. He uses it in like the worst possible moment with Gwen. It it's goes completely wrong. In more ways than one. And then it comes up again in the climax in a way you would not expect where he uses it to deliver the venom touch to King the, the venom strike to Kingpin and sends hey. him flying. It's hey. Are you familiar with the shoulder touch? Huh? What? Hey. Zap! And going back to that visual storytelling, "Hey" is in giant blocky letters behind Miles as he delivers that Venom strike. Like, if you brought this to, like, a serious film class, you'd be laughed out of the room. And yet, here, it is so powerful and it works. And and I think that's what makes this this movie work, is this balance between humor and dark, recurring deeply emotional scenes where we get a trope that you mentioned you kind of starting to get tired of seeing and that's the you're not ready
1: yeah the there's that a very common thing in a uh, especially the superhero movies where there is some kind of mentor figure you know kind of the it's i think it's kind of a whole hero's journey thing but that i will let smarter people than me talk about but, you know, the,
0: idiots for a reason, folks.
1: <laughs> but that is the whole thing that you get when you get the superhero who is just getting, coming into their powers and their mentor is like, well, I need your help for this, but you're not ready, so you're going to stay here where it's safe and I'm going to go make the heroic sacrifice to do the thing. And most of the time, I get really tired of that trope. I, I even was a little bit tired of it in this one, except... It really sets us up for a couple of great things. So first of all, Miles really truly wasn't ready. This isn't just a, oh, I don't think you're ready. He wasn't ready. And, you know, the, the scene where Peter B is like, it wasn't their call. That is
0: heartbreaking. The betrayal on Miles' face. But in that moment, the other side of it is, they're not wrong. If they took Miles in, as he was, right there, that kid was dead. And probably at least one of them would be, too, trying to save him. Yeah. And not even counting the sacrifice of closing the gate after someone would stay behind. And, of course, one of the current themes is your atoms aren't jazzed about being in the wrong dimension, to quote Peter B. It's... This thing that it's overused and done so ham-fistedly a lot of the time, but here it actually works because it sets up a greater thing, because in that moment, he wasn't ready. The seeds were planted, the formula was set, but it hadn't cooked yet. And also, I do believe in that scene, as much as
1: the egotistical young man didn't want to admit it,
0: I think even he knew he wasn't really ready yet. Honestly, his resistance to it was token at best, and the animation team and the voice actors did a great job of selling that. And real quick, we're going to talk about one other trope before we get round back to the scene that we're probably both going to cry again, and that is another trope that you weren't super jazzed about, and that was, ooh, look at my new powers that I don't know how to use.
1: Yeah, it's that's another one that is always done in a new superhero movie oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to either... I'm going to use my powers really irresponsibly and do stupid things with them, or I'm going to have no control over my power, and it's going to be a really comedic scene as I'm an absolute klutz, and I ruin everything, but somehow nobody actually notices that I have some weird superpower going on right now.
0: Yeah, I'll agree. There are a lot of times where it's misused and mishandled. I give it a pass in this film for two reasons. Uh, one, it's not completely unnoticed. Granted, the per- the individual or individuals who notice are characters who are, finger quotes, allowed to know who he is. Gwen is one of them. I think the roommate might have noticed him at one point, but didn't quite clock him. Uh, that's a recurring gag, by the way, is the roommate coming, like, this close. And then actually that explodes at one point into a full-on scene. Which is a great scene, by the way, in my opinion. Very funny scene. But the other reason I give it a pass for this film in particular is because it immediately draws, once again, parallels between Miles and Peter Parker as he's, like, freaking out about his powers and and how he can't control them. He's sticking to things, and and he's looking at comics, and these comics are the same scenes, and I think some of those were actually taken from the literal Spider-Man comics and used for this.
1: I believe so. I could be mistaken, though.
0: Yeah, I could be wrong as well. Again, I'm not as big on the comics side of things. I was too poor to buy and read comics as a kid, unfortunately. But there's all these different elements, and once again, it's the parallels. And since parallels is the theme of this whole movie, uh, trope can be kind of ham-fisted, overused, but I give it a pass on this movie. Yeah, I
1: it did still annoy me just a little bit in this movie, but not as much as it does in some. And it's just kind of one of those things that I do watch a ton of superhero movies and I, some of these tropes I notice and I just kind of get a little bit tired of seeing them over and over again. It's but, time. Uh, that then then brings us back to um, of course the, you know, we, we tied it into the trope of you're not ready yet. and So if you haven't seen the movie in a while, that scene concludes with Peter B webbing miles to a chair and webbing his mouth shut so he is he is practically immobile and can't talk and this is shortly after his uncle Aaron has died miles's father comes to the door of his dorm room and you know at this point they've had been having some trouble so he feels that miles is ignoring him because he hasn't been answering his phone they haven't heard from him and, you know, he knocks at the door and he can see Miles moving in the shadow under the door, but he doesn't know the predicament Miles is in right now. So he thinks that Miles is still just ignoring him. And he's lost his brother. He is so scared he's losing his son. And here I am go, choking folks. up here. There <laughs> we go.
0: Told you what's going to happen.
1: Uh, and this is just really heart wrenching scene where he is talking to Miles
0: to the door and trying to reconnect with his son. He has lost his brother, and he is trying desperately to keep a son he thinks he's already lost as well. And that speech he gives is one of the greatest in the film. There's there's lots of great mentoring moments, one of which we're going to be touching on in a moment here, because it comes up a few times thematically. But in this moment, there's this there's, there's one line in that speech i see this spark in you and he's trying he he stumbles through he does the awkward dad thing where it's like and i don't know where you're headed with this and i don't know and then either he planned this in advance or he just catches himself because all of a sudden he concedes all ground he wants his son back no matter what forget the the tough dad bit forget being hard on him he just needs his son he needs his son, and he concedes all ground and he goes, But it's yours.
1: And then, of
0: course, that, the
1: very closing line on that, you know, they, it kind of harkens back to uh, when we kind of first really meet him. You know, when he says, "I when he says to the door, I love you,
0: And says, You don't have to say it back. He has conceded all ground. He has surrendered the fight. He doesn't want to fight his son anymore. He wants his son back in his life. And the the thing is, he didn't lose his son, but he thought he did, and that was enough.
1: And he he was close to. He was close to losing his son. It's it's very easy to see for that for that film that if he had kept pushing, it would have cost him his relationship with Miles.
0: And it's one of those things that down the road, maybe they could have patched it back up, maybe not, but their relationship would still have been changed forever by it. And instead, honestly... And this is, this, is, this was a galaxy brain realization I had when we were doing the note session. All of the mentorship from Peter B. and the other spiders was very helpful and helped set foundations and, and pave the way for things. But none of them made Miles Spider-Man. Miles' dad, in that moment, with that speech, made Miles Morales Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, it, it, you even see it right there with the visuals of of it. Where he said, you know, one of the lines he says is, "I see this spark in you," and he pull, calls up Venom Strike on command for the first time
0: to burst apart the webs holding him, and and that leads us into uh, one of the other lines that keeps coming up. hindley and it's very important because it's part of this sequence. Is you know, uh, Miles uh, gets a suit from Aunt May, which, by the way, this Aunt May is amazing. I want to see more of her, and I want to know how she knows live. Absolutely. Um, but the parallels and the theming and the recurring themes, it's a line from Peter B., one of his, his big mentally advice-giving. Miles is just like, "How will I know I'm ready. You won't.
1: It's a leap of faith. And then that one comes again at the very end there when he sends uh, Peter B. back home and Peter's like, how do I know I won't screw it up again? Miles is like,
0: you don't. It's a leap of faith. Yeah, because uh, for those who don't know, Peter B ended up actually getting divorced from his MJ because of strains in the relationship and slight differences in what they wanted from their married life. And in some ways, uh, Peter B mentoring Miles helped him overcome a few of those hurdles, but he was still scared and nervous because what if I screw it up again?
1: He Yeah, he, he had messed up and it's very human to, no matter how no matter how much you believe you can fix things,
0: to be scared of screwing it up again. And what's interesting about all this is this recurring theme, It's a Leap of Faith, actually comes up. We get a literal leap of faith. This is the moment. Miles is ready, but he needs to know that he's ready. And he literally takes a leap of faith off of one of those tall buildings he was messing around with earlier, and... Again, this is where that visual styling comes in. This is actually outlined in the script. They scripted this sequence so tightly that there are stage directions in the script for this scene. where Miles jumps off and he's falling down this building, but the camera angle flips. So he's falling, but he's going up the yeah, screen. he's
1: falling up towards the building, which are upside down, which is aesthetically just
0: a beautiful shot. And it says in the script... Paraphrasing here because I don't remember the exact words. Miles isn't falling. He's rising. And then the soundtrack kicks in. What's up, danger? Again, not my music, but the song was, again, using that word, perfect for this scene. And as he's finally coming to his own and swinging around, you know, can't stop me now. Like, that's it. He he is in that moment. That is the moment there was that switch. He is Spider-Man now. He has made that journey and he's able to participate in the final climax of the film, which had a whole bunch of great touching moments, also some great funny moments. I mean, Anvil. And... <gasps> hey Liv, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> as as Mo- Invisible Miles, invisible on-command Miles, grabs one of her tentacles and starts punching her with her own tentacle. I mean, it's great. And again, this final sequence is... There's so many parallels here between, uh, because parallels are, again, is the main crux of this film. Uh, we get parallels between Peter Parker's uh, maneuvering around the Collider while fighting Green Goblin and Miles maneuvering around the Collider in the climax.
1: There's there's also another parallel that I actually didn't think about until just now. And it's the parallel of loss. Because Kingpin, his whole point in this version is he lost his family, mm-hmm. and he wants them back. And you look at all of these characters, every character involved in that final fight has lost someone so important to them as the loss being truly and an irrevocably life-changing. And the response, you know, the, the, the various spiders, they all responded in the way of not letting that happen to anyone else and kingpin went in the opposite direction of down the consequences i must have them back and we even see that break him in the that final fight where they they show up if his family shows up briefly and they see him trying to kill spider-man again and they leave him again
0: it's, it's, like I said, this whole movie is recurring themes. It's always about the parallels. We could probably sit here and analyze this movie all night, talking about the various parallels that come up here. The train, you know, where earlier he gets stuck to the train and he can't control it, and then in the climax he uses the train to his advantage deliberately. That's just one example of the the half-dozen I could name right now. But it always comes down to... Parallels being the theme, parallels being the climax, and parallels being the resolution as he sends everyone home. And it culminates in one final parallel. Let's do this one more time. For real. For real this time.
1: Because we see that happen with every single other Spider-Person. We see it happen with Peter Parker. We see it happen with Peter B. Parker. We see it happen with Spider-Gwen. We see it for um, simultaneously Noir, Penny, and ham but we're set up like we're gonna get it for miles because they slap the comic book cover down but then it doesn't cut into it until the very end when he's like all right let's do this for one more time for real and you know my name my name is miles morales and for the last two days i've been the one and only spider-man
0: yeah and because here's the thing until the collider like he was ready to be spider-man he'd done his leap of faith he'd had his loss he got his bite which for the record it was not a radioactive spider it was a quantum and scrambled spider just as a point of order they call me pedantic but until after the collider where he actually completed his mission his first mission he really wasn't fully spider-man yet he was spider-man ready he was spider-man adjacent And then he completed the Collider mission and defeated Kingpin, and he was Spider-Man. And that's when they gave us his, let's do this again, one more time, for real. And, you know, again, it comes up in his, you can wear the mask. Anyone can wear the mask. I hope you know that now. You can wear the mask. Powerful message, and I think that's part of why this movie hits so hard. I'm tearing up again because it, it echoed that that sentiment from Stan Lee, which again, factors back into the cameo, and, and it's just, plus the uh, great storytelling and characterizations of the movie itself, and the story it told independently of that, and, 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 and. and. Literally could ramble about this all night. So we're going to end everything off on a really cool, higher note.
1: So there there's the post credit scene, which if you didn't sit through it, or maybe you're not familiar with that because... You know, you're only, you've only really seen, like, the movies, maybe some of the cartoons. And, of course, we, we are not gatekeepers here. If your entire knowledge of Spider-Man is Into the Spider-Verse and the Tom Holland movies, you're still a Spider-Man fan. You are still
0: valid in that regard. And, oh, my God, what a stepping-on point. I almost envy you if Into the Spider-Verse was your first look at the Spider-World. But that post credit scene...
1: It, it seems like a bit of a throwaway. We get, you know, this introduction of Miguel. Who, is, for most people, they don't know who Miguel is. And then we see this really weird Spider-Man costume that most people have never seen before. Or they've seen like once or twice and don't know what it is. Yeah. That is Spider-Man 2099.
0: The most high profile that Miguel O'Hara has gotten is he was in Shattered Dimensions, one of the video games. Uh, along with Noor, actually, and uh, a couple of others. And other than that, yeah, who is this guy? No one knows, because the 2099 comics, unfortunately, didn't really catch on, even though they were a very interesting take on an alternate future of the Marvel Universe. And
1: they were also pretty old. I want to say they were released in, what, 99? The,
0: the 90s. Definitely the 90s.
1: I mean, I could go grab my comics and check because I've got almost all of X-Men 2099, but that's for another time. And there is also, so not only does this set up the potential to have Spider-Man 2099 in the sequel, which, by the way, is confirmed coming. And so all so all of us, like, uber nerds are sitting here like, ooh, Spider-Man 2099. Also, just a fun little bit of trivia for you. So a lot of people think that Miles Morales is the first Uh, Latinx person to be Spider-Man. And I will say he is the first black Spider-Man. But Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, is actually the first Latinx Spider-Man
0: because he was Mexican-Irish. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. And that sets us up into uh, one of the most hilarious and entertaining moments in in the whole movie is in this stinger, where Miguel goes back in time to Earth-67, as in 1967.
1: And we get the the, 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 the pointing Spider-Man, Spider-Man meme of Miguel O'Hara pointing at classic Spider-Man and arguing with him about yeah. who pointed first.
0: And it's so silly and it's such a great nod to the fandom and modern media and modern audiences. And the fact that they included it is great. I look forward to the sequel I'm nervous, but excited to see what they do.
1: If the sequel is a quarter as good as Into the Spider-Verse, then it is still going to be an amazing movie. It will.
0: It's got some strong shoes to fill in, because Into the Spider-Verse opened hard, opened strong. But I think it's. I think if this crew puts the work in, it'll happen because, well, after all, anyone can wear the mask.
1: And it'll definitely be interesting to see who else they bring in for number two.
0: That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Two
1: Idiots and a Dog. If you like what we do, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash T-I-A-A-D Media.
0: That's T-I-A-A-D Media, all one word. If you want to send Kaiju fan mail or reach out to the idiots for anything, you can email us at T-I-A-A-D Media at gmail.com.
1: Again, that is T-I-A-A-D Media at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. Links can be found on Patreon in our email signature and on our SoundCloud page.
0: We would also like to give a special thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. If you want to hear your name included here, you can support us at the Honorary Idiot Tier on Patreon.